Hello again, this is Justice Hayes, also known online sometimes as Shoes on Wires. And this is another podcast episode of Tales with Some Height. We are at number six right now, which is pretty respectable, I think. And um, I'm going to tell an original story, but um, this is also serving as a, a... a forewarning that there's going to be a field recording coming up, departing from this format of telling a story. <clears throat> this time I just press record while uh, my beautiful, lovely wife Lisa and I were sitting out on the back deck, which is where I'm sitting now, which is where I do all these recordings so far. <clears throat> so we were sitting out on the back deck and um, and talking about farting and couple farting behavior, which is not a discussion that goes on very often. You know, it's uh, it's often verboten, but we decided to take it on. Granted, she didn't know she was being recorded, and at one point, uh, my oldest hour, oldest son. Alex came in and uh, and put his two cents into the discussion, so I will be uh, I will be posting that soon because it's hilarious uh, from all angles. It's completely hilarious. It makes me laugh. Fart jokes. Well, I mean not jokes, but fart discussion. <laughs> you know, it's, that's a good time. It really is. It's a good time. So. The story I'm going to tell tonight is um, a, a biggie. This is probably my best story. So I have a little bit of trepidation. I want to tell it well. It's important to me that I get it down in a sensible, comprehensible way. So let's just start at the beginning. Uh, I have been married three times. And my first wife, her name was Catherine, and her dad was uh, a big Scottish fisherman, commercial fisherman. He had a boat called the Sunbeam, and he had big Popeye arms and was six foot something. And if he wanted to kill me, he could have done it in about three punches. Like he could, like he just could have driven me into the ground, no problem. But he um, he and I actually got along quite well because at the time I was going to university and he had uh, big respect for people who, well, put it this way, he had big respect for two kinds of people, people who used their brawn and who brought it to the table every day and had huge um, responsibility and um, reliability and whatnot. And the other kind of person he respected was somebody who used his brain. <clears throat> and I was using my brain because I was going to university. And I had married his daughter. Well, I was about to marry his daughter. This is where the story comes in. So, Catherine and I had uh, decided we were going to get married. And she insisted that I ask her parents' permission to marry. So... I said, okay, well, that's fine by me. So we arranged a time at their apartment in New Westminster, and I officially asked, 
can I marry your daughter? And her mom is like, oh my God, oh, you know, the usual mom thing. And her dad had a strange kind of reaction, and he kind of got up and left the room. Well, he didn't kind of. He did get up and left the room. And and I'm like, ooh, that's strange. And look at Catherine, and she's like, I don't know what's going on. He comes back and gives me his wedding ring, his actual wedding ring, and says... I can't wear this on the boat. It's too dangerous. My, you know, my finger could get caught. So if you're going to marry my daughter, then you should use my wedding ring. And it was a, a beautiful ring. Uh, quite simple. It had a little sort of, um, I don't know, uh, leaf motif around the outside, sort of engraved into it. Um, probably. I'm guessing, if I remember correctly, 14 karat gold. You know, not not crazy 24 karat, well, which would be stupid. 24 karat gold ring is dumb. But anyway, so I, of course, was extremely grateful and happy and said thank you very much and proceeded to marry his daughter with that ring. Time goes by. We, um, we end up buying a boat, and we live on a boat in... Um, Shelter Island Marina. Sorry, I was searching for the for the name of the marina. Shelter Island Marina, which is in uh, the border of Richmond and Queensboro. Really had a great time there. Um, it it really was fun. Something about uh, being in a a community, you know, a really a close knit community. And uh, and time goes by, and then. Uh, things go badly, unfortunately, with me and Lisa, as sometimes... Or, me and Lisa, oh my God. <laughs> me and Catherine. Sorry, Lisa. Love you. <laughs> me and Catherine. And um, the reason I discovered how far things had gone badly is um, we were having Christmas at my parents, well, at my mom's place, my parents are divorced, so at my mom's place, and we had um, my grandfather, my grandmother on Christmas morning, mom, and my younger brother, and his girlfriend, and we're all opening up presents, and there's one present left under the tree at the end of the whole opening present ceremony, and I'm like, well, who's that? Four and two, and it turns out it's for Catherine, and it's from her boss because she had been taking a, a computer graphics and animation degree at Emily Carr, had graduated, and then had been working with this startup company, um, computer graphics startup company called Second Stage, and her boss, Dan Dodiak, uh, who I had met many times and seemed like a half-decent guy. Anyway, so this present, <laughs> this last present, was from Dan to Catherine, and when she opened it up, it contained lingerie, a nice, like, like a teddy, that kind of a thing. So that was uh, an indication that things were going downhill at that point. Shortly thereafter, 
<coughs> excuse me, shortly thereafter, we uh, we split up and eventually divorced. And after that happened, um, while I was living on the boat, because she gave me the boat in the uh, in the separation, I got the boat. She got the car which was obviously way in my favor, but there you go. Consider the circumstances. We used to have this uh, Thursday night dart tournament up at the pub. The marina had a pub. And I was a regular uh, participant in that. I, I was never a good dart player, but I learned to become a good dart player. Threw them backwards for whatever that's worth. Flight first, flipped over on the way. I love that. It freaked people out. Anyway. So on this particular night, uh, you know, went up there, played some darts, had some pints, had a pretty good glow on, got back to my boat, sat on the back transom. Uh, there was a moon out. It was balmy. And... Uh, you know, had a smoke and just thought about life for a while. And eventually started looking at my, my left hand because I was still wearing the ring. We were separated. We hadn't quite been divorced yet by this point, but it was on the way. And, uh, but just by habit, I was wearing the ring. And I looked at it and thought, it's just so fucking stupid. Why am I, why am I wearing this ring? Like, I don't, I'm happy that the relationship is over um, because what I haven't revealed up to this point is that Catherine could be a hard woman and it had been a while where I was like actually it would be kind of good if this relationship ended but she was also a grudge holder and could be very spiteful and I knew if I made the first move I would be the bad guy forever so I was just kind of sitting in the weeds um, kind of a cowardly move, I, I'll be the first to admit. Sitting in the weeds and waiting for something to happen, and then something happened, and boom, okay, I'm off the hook. Yay, now she's the bad guy, not me. So, there you go. Anyway. So, I was happy that the relationship was over, and I'm looking at this ring on my finger, and I'm just thinking to myself, why is this ring here? I just, I just, you know, I'm happy it's done. I should just get fucking get rid of it. I should just let it go and, you know, move forward and be a new man and just fucking take control and just move forward. And so I took the ring off my, my wedding ring finger on my left hand, took it off and threw it into the Fraser River and it went plunk. I have a very clear memory of it going plunk. And I sat there for a little while longer, and I felt pretty good about the whole situation. Had another smoke. You know, looked at the moon. Looked at the moon reflecting on the water. It was all good. And then I went to bed. And time went by, and uh, my time my time on the boat deteriorated. Um, I, well, it's a long story, but I put a lot of time and effort into upkeeping this boat, and then it turned out there were, um, huge rot issues that I didn't know about, and I just 
threw up my hands and said, I give up. And about that time, I met my second wife-to-be. She wasn't my second wife at the time, of course, but her name was Aileen. And, um, you know, this is like six, seven, eight months later, something like that. And, uh, and we got along like a house on fire. She was an awesome woman. We really had a good time together. And I ended up moving into her place in New Westminster. Well, actually, no, Burnaby, just over the border. It was Burnaby. Near Edmonds, which is significant because I've had like four houses near Edmonds in the last uh, ten years or so. Anyway. So, um, I spent a lot of time with her at her at her place and eventually end up selling the boat and during the uh, the move as you do when you move you go through all your stuff can i keep this can i throw this away you know have i seen it or touched it in 5 years that whole thing so that goes on for a while and during that um you know that examination of my goods one of the things i examined was my only little jewelry box and it was a silver cardboard box about three inches by two inches um, probably held something like a pocket watch or something like that originally like too big for a ring or whatever like something fairly large and it had a, a cotton pad and it was full of old earrings and you know, I there was a an opal pinky ring from my grandmother that was in there that I could never wear because you can't get opals wet. And am I going to wear a ring where I can't get it wet? Like, that's ridiculous. So that was in there and, you know, a few other little bits and bobs. And I distinctly remember as I was moving off the boat, finding it, opening it up, looking in, stirring the contents around going, well, there's nothing very exciting in there. I'm going to keep the earrings that I have, because at that point, and still do, I was double-pierced with, uh, you know, like little gold studs or whatever. So then I move, and uh, and Aileen and I get ensconced into um, her apartment. I moved into her place, a two-bedroom, um, on Sixth Street and Seventeenth, I think. Not that it really matters. And shortly after I move in, uh, and this is before cell phones, so I have a pager. Before cell phones, just imagine how crazy that is before cell phones. But yeah, it's true. So I, I get a, I get a page from Catherine, my first wife. And she tells me, uh, my dad died. Uh, he was on his boat, tied up at the dock. Uh, I can't remember where. I think Campbell River or Port Hardy. It was somewhere north on the island, Vancouver Island, pretty sure. Anyway, there was a, uh, there was a galley fire, like a, a stove fire. And the boat filled up with smoke, and everyone on the boat died of smoke inhalation. So, 
of course, that's awful and tragic. And there were at least, I think, three other guys on board at the time. I'm not entirely sure about that. But for sure, Keith died. He died. And being, you know, the daughter of Keith, and also being a daddy's girl, frankly, she was. She used to go and, like, spend two months in the summer uh, fishing with him. This is a girl who, a woman, I shouldn't say girl, a woman who uh, wore high heels every day that she could and put on makeup and would go and spend two months fishing with her dad, uh, dressed in oil skins and covered in fish scales and, you know... I couldn't even... I, I would never do it. I never did do it. My brother did it for a little while until he got too seasick to do it anymore, but... I couldn't do it, but she did it because she loved her dad that much. That was actually quite sweet in its way. She really did love her dad. And then her dad died. So she says to me, "Um, so can I get dad's ring back? His wedding ring that he gave to me to marry her. And I've never been, well, this is a tough one because it exposes a weakness in my character. It really does. I should have said, well, I'm sorry, Catherine, but I threw that ring into the Fraser River. That's what I should have said. But I didn't. I lied because of cowardice. And because if I'd said I'd thrown the ring into the Fraser River, she would have torn me a new one. She she would have. She was that kind of woman. So I lied. And, uh, and I said, oh, okay, well, yeah, no, I'll look for that for sure. Um, I'm sure I've got it around here somewhere. So I'll, I'll look for it. I'll, I'll try and find it, and I'll get it back to you. And she said, okay, thank you. And that was the end of that. And, of course, I felt so guilty. I've, oof, you know, her dad just died, and it's her dad's ring, and I just fucking lied about it. Oof. But I know I don't have it. A, I threw it in the fucking Fraser River, and B... Um, the only place where it would have been, which is my little jewelry box, I just looked in. Well, not that it, that's not even relevant, because I threw it in the fucking Fraser River. <clears throat> but that's a setup for later on. Hmm, this is foreshadowing. So, time goes by, a couple of weeks. And she calls me again and asks, did you find my daddy's ring? And she always referred to him as daddy. Like I say, she was a daddy's girl. Definitely. And I just denied. I denied and said, you know, I uh, I haven't found it. I haven't seen it. But I promise you I will, I will look again. That's what I... 
I promised her. I will look again. And as I was saying it, I knew that I, it was hollow. It was a sham. It was a pretense. I was going to, sure, I was going to go through the motions. I was going to look for the ring, but I knew the ring wasn't there. So, but I said that I would look for it, so damn it, I was going to look for it. So at least the next time we called, we talked to each other. Um, when I said I'd look for it, that would be true. So even though I'd lied about everything else, at least that would be true. Which is so lame and ridiculous and ugh, just... Anyway, but that's where I was at the time, and was for a very long time. Anyway, so I did that. I went through the motions. I looked through everything that uh, I had moved to Aileen's apartment, and eventually came down to the little silver cardboard box that I had looked through when I had moved to... Aileen's place and opened it up and on top of the cotton batting it was a fitted cotton batting with all the earrings and whatnot stewing around underneath on top of the cotton batting was the ring sitting there the ring so that's a moment in your life when you have to re-examine some basic beliefs that you've had prior to that moment. Because I know, I know absolutely and 100% that I threw that ring into the river. One. Two, I know that I looked in that box when I moved to Aileen's place, and it just had the usual junk, too. And when I opened that box, and the ring, like, it wasn't, it wasn't like it was mixed in with the crap underneath the cotton padding. Like, it was on top of the cotton padding. It was pristine sitting there. And also, it wasn't like it was covered in river mud or, you know, like, go oh, slimy and blah, blah, blah. Like, there was none of that. It was just pristine, clean, sitting there, staring me in the face, hard, hard, hard to ignore or disavow. You couldn't. It was there. So... I, there's so many ways I could go with this. I'll go with a pragmatic, practical way what actually happened. So, I called up Catherine a few days, well, no, not a few days later, probably the next day, and said, uh, I got your dad's ring. And she's like, oh, great, you found it. Excellent. She was happy. So we set up a time for uh, me to go uh, and visit her and drop it off at her mom's place. And I couldn't, I couldn't help myself. I had to tell her what had happened. 
because it's her ring, well, now it's her ring, but it's her dad's ring and the, what happened, and that's fucking crazy, that's what happened. So I had to tell her, so I did, and she heard the story and digested it, soaked it in, and then looked at me and said, well, never fuck with a dead guy. That was her take on the situation. Which I think is probably a pretty good take. And there's a part two. So that's part one. Part two. Not too long after that, I got a call from uh, the Steveston Cannery Museum. This is a museum. It used to be a cannery factory, and uh, they've turned it into a museum, showing all the, you know, the technology and industry of turning salmon into canned salmon. And they had a, uh, a display, and they needed a, a painter, a scenic painter, like myself, to paint a, the prow of a, of a ship um, at night. And um, the, the display, the, the, yeah, well, the display, I guess that's what we can call it, was uh, people lost at sea um, in the waters of British Columbia. I didn't really think of anything about that. Never even crossed my mind that this could have anything to do with Keith. So I'm painting away. Got it all done. On the last night, I finished a little bit early, and I had to meet my contact. I can't remember her name. Let's call her Clarice. Whatever. So... um I'm waiting to meet Clarice, but she's uh, leading a whole bunch of volunteers through their paces because they have to stand at various, you know, spots and displays and interact with the public and that kind of thing, and they have lines to say and whatnot. So I have got about <clears throat> probably, I don't know, half an hour or so to kill before they're done, maybe more. And I had, I just bought uh, a new digital camera. It was a Lumix. Six megapixels. Woohoo! I was so excited. And it was a, it was a, a, a cannery factory, so there were a lot of great textures and stuff to, to capture, and I was actually quite excited about it, so I was walking around taking pictures. And at one point, I was walking from one room to another room and the first room was planked with wood and the second room was concrete and as I crossed the threshold I had the the camera in my hand uh, the strap wasn't around my neck or anything and as I passed into the concrete lined floor room uh, the the camera flew out of my hand, flew on an arc, on an arc, like it flew up and then down. I didn't toss it, I didn't stumble, I was just walking from one room to the other and it flew out of my hand on an arc and then landed on the cement and, uh, and was, of course, irreparably damaged. So, 
I was very unhappy about that. That's a shitty thing to happen. Not very good. Not good at all. So, I'm like, okay, that's shit. And I pick it up, and I look at it, and I try and get it to work, and it's not working, and, oh, fuck. All right, so, uh, it's almost time for me to meet Clarice and get, you know, give her my invoice so I can get paid. And they're almost done there, their volunteer stuff, but not quite. So I walk over, and part of the display that I had just been painting was for the volunteers, whoever was standing there at that particular display, and to read out the names of ships that had been lost at sea and... um, the date that they've been lost at sea. So they're going through it, and I'm sort of standing off to the side. And this you know, this ship, and then that ship, and then this ship, and then that ship, and then motor vessel Sunbeam. Which was the name of Keith's boat that he died on. And I just stood there, floored, because he used to anchor his boat at Steveston, like, literally 150 feet away from where we were standing at that point. Um, yeah. It was freaky and spooky and gave me uh, the biggest chill you can imagine. So, that is the story of the wedding ring that came back via a dead fisherman. My, uh, my first wife's father, Keith Grant, was his name. And uh, he was a good guy. He was. He was big. He was bluff. He was gruff. But uh, he gave me respect, and I always appreciated him for that, because I was not his type of guy, but he still gave me respect. And he gave me his wedding ring to marry his daughter, and then he died. And I threw it in the river, and it came back. Just one of the most intense experiences in my life. I used to be an atheist. I was a hardcore atheist. But after that experience, um, I think I've become an agnostic. Not that I believe there might be a God. I don't think there's a God. But maybe there's some level or some level of existence, some version of existence that's beyond this physical this physical realm that we all live in and know and appreciate. Because the fucking ring came back, and I can't ever explain that. I can't. It came back. It sat on that cotton pad and 
stared at me. Yeah. Anyway, that's the ring that came back. So, hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Well, I always enjoy telling stories, so there you go. For the ten people that I've told about this podcast, <laughs> I should probably stop saying that. Um, let's just say uh, good night, good luck, good dreams, good life, uh, good everything. Just do your best. That's what I do. All right. Cheers and ciao.